Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. The scripture says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He said to Simon Peter, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I don't wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, Father, as we gather around your word and come again to consider the life and the ministry of Jesus, we pray this morning that in particular and especially, you would help us to gain fresh insight into what is the the length and the breadth, the, the height and the depth of your great love for us in Christ Jesus. We pray, Father God, that this love that surpasses knowledge might be so real to us that we would be filled to overflowing with it. Lord God, help us that we might not just know your love, but that we might understand it. We pray and ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the problems with being human is that you're human. And one of the problems with with being human is that you make mistakes. 
One of the problems with being married is the person you married makes mistakes. And one of the problems with having children is your children make mistakes. And you live your whole life with lots and lots of mistakes. Well, we had a mistake in our family this week. Somebody locked their keys in their car uh, overnight, which meant that when everybody got up to go to work, uh, somebody didn't have a car because somebody locked their keys in the car. Have you ever had that happen to you? Of course you have. It was Cheryl this time, but it was me last time. It was Cheryl this time, but it was me last time. We just take turns. And uh, sometimes we lock even our spare keys in the car with the regular keys. So what we do for situations like this is, um, quite honestly, we call AAA. That's why we have AAA is because, well, they'll help you get out of stuff like that. So we called AAA and sure enough, I gave Cheryl my car and sent her on and she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, honey, it happens, it happens, it happens. Off she went and so I'm waiting for AAA and sure enough, Barry from AAA comes to our house and I'm so glad to see Barry from AAA. I hope you never get to meet him, but I'm glad he, he was there. Barry from AAA, and as Barry was getting all his gear out, I explained to him why Barry was at our house, and Barry from AAA said, and I quote, it happens. <laughs> and I said, well, that's true, and he said, just the other day, he said, I was unlocking a car for a woman, and he said she was so happy to get back into her car, she gave me a box of plums. I thought, well, Barry, I have no plums to give you, but... This is okay. Who gives plums? I don't know, but he was so excited to get the plums. He took his gear, took his plums, put them in the truck and promptly locked his truck with it running and his uh, cell phone and his company phone still in the truck. So Barry from AAA had to borrow the woman's phone to call his boss at AAA to ask AAA to come and unlock AAA's truck. That was still running with AAA's phone inside. Barry said, and I'm quoting Barry of AAA, it happens, it happens, it happens. Life happens. And you know, one of the things that when we, when we have a failure, when we have a breakdown like that, one of the things we wanna know is, am I still loved? Or in Barry's case, am I still employed? Am I still employed? Uh, and this problem is, is not just for some of us, it is for all of us. We need to know that we're loved. The great need of our world is to know that it is loved, but not just that God loves the world, the world knows that God loves it, uh, and, and most people in the world assume that it's true. Most of us are in love with ourselves and aren't surprised that God is as well. The world doesn't need to know that God loves it, as we tend to repeat over and over again. But what the world needs to know is that God loves people who fail. God loves people who make mistakes. To put it biblically, that God loves sinners. The world doesn't need to know that God loves it. The world needs to know that God loves sinners. God loves broken people and failing people, even the worst, and that he's proven it in the coming of his son and in his death on the cross for sinners. 
Now, now believers know, and, and we celebrate this truth, we apply this truth to life by reminding ourselves of it and sharing it with others, but there is another truth that believers know, but I wonder if we really understand it and I wonder if we really apply it. And that truth is this, that Christ not only loves sinners, but Christ loves his saints, his people. Now, many of you will say, oh, I know that too. And I know you do, you've been told that 10,000 times. But the issue here is not whether we believers know that he loves us, the issue is whether we understand and whether we, we believe that he loves us. There is a difference between knowing and understanding a truth. Knowing a truth as a fact is one thing, understanding it, comprehending what it means for us personally is a completely different matter. And in this matter of whether or not Christ loves us as his people, has a massive impact, not only on the way we see ourselves, but also in our relationships. And that is what our story speaks to directly this morning. Knowing, uh, ver knowing versus understanding the love of Christ for those who believe is what Jesus addresses. Now I want you to notice with me in chapter 13, Jesus' public ministry has ended from uh, John 13 through John 17, we find the closing days of his life are actually spent in private preparation of his disciples for his death and for their new life without him. Jesus, or John sets up our story and its theme of Christ's love in verse one. Do you see it saying, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus' last Passover before his cross, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, he loved them to the uttermost. One translator says, he loved them to his final breath. Now, in verses two to three, we find that with the end at hand for Jesus, this love that he has and the love that he shows uh, is, is quite remarkable. It's quite remarkable because the love that he has for those who are his own, these disciples gathered around a table, is quite remarkable because of what he knows about these disciples. He knows that these men gathered around the table with him at this meal just before the Passover. He knows that they're still slow to understand all that he's been telling them. They are infiltrated by a traitor who has already arranged not merely his arrest, but his execution. He knows that these, he knows these men, he knows their countless inconsistencies, their petty arguments, their selfish concerns, their faulty obedience, their faithlessness. He knows their unbelief. They have tried his patience. They have tested his love. And yet, neither his patience nor his love have failed. He has he never given up on them. And as he comes now to the end, he's still forgiving them constantly. His compassion is not exhausted. And so what we have here in verses two to three is a meal attended by all of these disciples, including Judas, who had struck a deal with the devil to betray him. 
And John says it's at this moment that Christ's love for his disciples and his knowledge of them and his knowledge of the fact that his hour has come to fulfill his father's plan with suffering and a cross and a resurrection and a return to his father, all of this comes together. And Jesus seizes the moment to show his disciples his love for them and ultimately to pose one question to them. Do you understand what I've done? Do you understand what I've done is what he ultimately says to them. Do you understand what I've done to you? By this question, as our story shows, he means, do you understand my love? Do you understand the extent of it? Do you understand the goal of it? Do you understand the requirement of it? Do you understand the promise of it? Do you understand that I love you? How much and how and what I'm after and what my love requires and what it promises. Do you understand what I've done to you? Christ wants these disciples and every disciple to understand and believe the truth about his love for them. And so he uses this unexpected act to to help make this happen. And I know a few passages that are as simultaneously encouraging and sobering and challenging as this passage. I'm still working on this passage. I'm still working on the lessons of this passage. It is a great passage, but it's a hard passage. Helping his disciples to understand and believe his love for them is Christ's ultimate goal. And it is the goal of our message today. In fact, today we want to look at the extent of his love as we see it described for us in verses two to five. Jesus' unfailing love for his own and the recognition that his end has come motivate Jesus to do the unexpected at an unexpected time. Verses four and five tell us he rises up from the supper. He puts aside his street clothes. He wraps himself with with a towel ties it around his waist, pours water into a basin, and starts washing his disciples' feet. And what this says is absolutely obvious to everyone in the room. Now, I couldn't find a towel long enough, so I'm not going to tie this on my waist, and, but I will throw it over my shoulder because that's kind of the picture. We just don't have towels long enough, or I'm, yeah. But, but he's got enough there. And the idea was this. You take a pitcher of water. You pour it into a bowl. You take the bowl. You pour it over the feet. And then you wipe the feet clean with a towel. And what Jesus is doing, as I say, is obvious. Because this, this garb, this dress, and these actions were always and only done by slaves. They were always and only done by slaves. They were never done by anyone other than a slave unless it was a child for a parent. But here, Jesus, their master and teacher, has taken for himself both the dress He's taken for himself the towel and he's taken the role of a slave. Why, what this says is obvious to everyone in the room, but what this means and why he does it, those are not so obvious 
The reality is that Jesus is doing what no one else thinks to do and what no one else wants to do. Taking the humiliating role of a servant and meeting others' needs by serving them. It needs to be done. It should have been done. The feet should have been washed before the meal. They weren't washed at all. So Jesus does it. Now we've noted in in, uh, recent messages that this practice of foot washing before meals is is, is a part of ancient hospitality. A guest would watch up before traveling to a meal in another person's home. And in first century Palestine, walking in sandals on dusty roads made dirty by animals meant grimy feet on arrival. And so on arrival, they would take off their sandals and a servant or a slave with a long towel wrapped around the waist, dropped over the shoulder, would take that pitcher, pour it over the feet and cleanse the feet. And this work was so demeaning that Jewish slaves, even though only slaves would do this, Jewish slaves couldn't be required to serve this way, only Gentile slaves. And yet, this is what Jesus does. He voluntarily adopts the stance of the lowest slave. And this foot washing shocks and scandalizes and at some level shames the disciples. Why? Well, two reasons. First, that this, such an act is unheard of, never seen, never done by a great man. It is humiliating, but it shows humility. Uh, to be sure, the Romans looked down on humility, but the, the Jewish rabbis didn't look down on humility so long as the humility didn't, so long as the humility came with limits. They would be humble, but to, to a degree. But this humiliating act doesn't qualify. It isn't done by, by uh, someone who couldn't avoid it. It is done by someone who could have avoided it. It is done by someone who could have said to the disciples, no one's washed my feet. And they would have gladly washed his feet. The problem was they weren't going to wash each other's feet. Secondly, the reason this foot washing shocks and scandalizes the disciples is because it runs very counter uh, to, their, to their natures. And it runs counter to our nature. We all have a problem with narcissism. We naturally want our feet to be washed, but we don't want to wash the feet of others. We all feel the need to make sure others know how valuable we are, and we all bristle at the idea that others are entitled to more than we are, all of us. I'll never forget some years ago, I was preaching at Charleston Southern University outside of Charleston, and uh, I came in, and the auditorium was absolutely packed, and I spotted two last seats in that auditorium. And so I went straight for them and I sat down and it was like on the second row or something. And I'm going, you know, Lord, you've been so good. (laughs) Thank you for, for, for saving a seat for me. Well, as soon as I sat down, a woman came up with her daughter and said, I want those seats. And I thought to myself, there, there are no more seats. But then I remembered I'm a follower of Jesus and I was getting ready to speak and I was born in the South and I was raised to treat uh, people with respect and particularly ladies. So I got up and I gave her my seats. Well, I had nowhere else to sit. And I got to tell you, I went through spiritual warfare. Here I am, a man of God, getting ready to preach the word of God to the people of God in this auditorium filled 
and I don't have a seat. Do you see what's wrong with that picture? I didn't at first, but the Lord got me there. Believe you me, I had to do a lot of praying before I got up to do any preaching. The sin in her, I want your seats, raised up the sin in me. The pride in her brought out the pride in me. Have you ever had that happen to you? How dare you? So we all, we all tend to live with this me first kind of mindset, not a you first mindset, which is the heart of humility. So what Jesus does is extreme to the disciples rather than the normal me, me, me. His focus is others, others, others. And it's here that we find Jesus showing his disciples the extent of his love by the method of his love for them. He showed them the extent of his love by the method of his love. And the method of his love was humility yoked to, to service. Humility yoked to service. And this humility yoked to service raises questions and it demands an explanation for the, uh, uh, for the disciples. And that's exactly what Jesus is after. He wants them to ask, why are you doing this? He, he wants them to wonder why he's doing this. And the answer we know is because verse one, he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He wanted them to know the extent of his love for them. They knew that he knew they were failures and had their foibles. He wanted them to know. He wants them to ask. He wants them to wonder why. Because he wants to make the point that they are deeply, genuinely, completely loved, even with all their foibles, failures, and flaws. He also wants to make the point that the extent, now don't miss this, the extent of his love for them ought to be the measure of their love for each other. And that the extent of his love and the measure of their love for each other is what will finally determine their impact on the world. Isn't that what he says? Look down at the end of the chapter in John 13, 35, 34 to 35, where he says, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that you follow me? How will they know that you are pursuing me? How will they know that you have been impacted by me? How will they know? It will be by the way you have love for each other. And that love is manifested by the method of humility yoked to service. So what Jesus is doing here is of great significance. It's, this is why he spends time in chapters 14 to 17 uh, teaching them how to live. But before he does that, he spends time in chapter 13 teaching them how to love. Before he shows them how to live, he's got to teach them how to love. And he's got to reinforce to them 
how much he loves them because he knows that they aren't going to be able to love each other until they are absolutely convinced of his love for them. What Jesus shows us when he shows us the extent of his love with his method of humble service is this. Life is not about us. Life is about God and life is about others. And the cure for me, me, me is following the love of Jesus by serving and thinking about others, others, others. It doesn't mean we deny our own needs. It doesn't mean we, we don't let others serve us, but it does mean that we obey Christ when he says, verse 15, I've given you an example that you should also do as I've done to you. It means that we look for ways to serve others before they can look for ways to serve us. It means that the church should be a people where there is a constant friendly competition to outserve each other and outserve the world. It means, as Paul says in Romans 12, it means that believers are a people who let love be genuine, who abhor what is evil, but they hold fast to what is good and they pursue what is good for each other. They are a people who love one another with brotherly affection and they outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Because we are so loved by Christ, and because we're loved by Christ in this way, we need to be people who strive to serve instead of striving to be served, who see and think of the value of others before seeing and thinking of their own value, who have an accurate sense of, of their strengths and their weaknesses, who properly submit to God and submit to each other's needs. Believer, here is the extent of Jesus' love for you captured in his perfect love. By humble service, Jesus empties himself to fill us up. He empties himself to fill you up. He shows his people that genuine love gives itself away to make the beloved strong where they're weak, to make the rich, the, to make them rich where they're poor. So in his love, this is what Christ does. He takes what he has and he takes all that he has to the very last breath of his life and he uses it to make up for what you and I don't have and can't have. And this becomes ultimately and finally the best definition of love that I know anything about. It is taking, it is me taking all that I am and all that I have and pouring it out on you so that you have what you need and cannot give to
this is how I know I'm loved. And this is how I know that I am loving. It is when I am literally emptying myself of me in favor of filling you up. This is why we Christians, we followers of Christ, keep going back to the cross. We keep going back to his last breath because it is there that we not only know we are loved, but we understand how deeply we are loved. Because it is at the cross then where we see him filling us up with forgiveness and cleansing by emptying himself out. Genuine love fills others up by emptying self out. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you see the extent of my love by the method. And this is what I want for you to be and to do. Wear the towel. Find the feet. You can't say you're truly following Jesus if you're not somewhere, somehow, wearing a towel and finding the dirty feet. Got a towel? One of the greatest gifts we can give to Christ and one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other and one of the greatest gifts we can give to the world is to show the world what real love really looks like. It doesn't look like me, me, me. It doesn't look like you, you, you. It looks like others, others, others. All the time. Everywhere. It looks like a towel. It looks like pouring out so others can be filled up. I challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I challenge you. 
I'm not asking, do you, do you have official position of service? Though that's a great way to, to do it. You can have an official position of service in the church and never really pour yourself out. Never really have it cost you anything, really. But what I'm asking you is this. Out of the overflow of love of Jesus for you. Out of the realization that he loved you to his last breath. I, I want to ask you a question. Who right now would say you are taking everything you've got and pouring it into them? in the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ. The motto of every follower of Jesus should be, I wanna leave people better than the way I found them. I wanna leave people better than the way I found them. Why should that be our motto? Because that was Jesus' motto. Nobody accomplished that any better than Jesus. I'll tell you this. I cannot speak for you, but I will tell you this. Jesus has left me better than he found me. Can you say that? Jesus has left me better than he found me. Can you tell your neighbor that? Go ahead and tell your neighbor that. Jesus has left me better than he found me. Jesus has left me better then he found me. And because Jesus left us better than he found us, his logic, and he's going to unpack that logic in the rest of this passage, his logic is this, because I left you better than I found you, you should leave others better than you find them. This is how the world will know you belong to This is how the world has changed. It's not by a bunch of selfish Christians coming to church singing me, me, me. Demanding their own way and demanding their own say. My soul, don't we have enough of that in this world? Do we not? Don't you have enough of that in your house? Don't you have enough of that in your marriage? Everybody gets quiet. I do and you do. The heart of Christ is the heart of true love. His ambition is to find us, take us, and make us better than He found us. And that should be in turn our ambition for each other I want you to do for each other believers exactly what I've done for you grab your towel find the feet of your brothers and your sisters and start washing start 
Father God, how will the world ever know? How will the world ever know that we belong to Jesus? We don't have a towel, a basin, and a pitcher. How will the world ever know that we belong to Him if in our marriages we're not pouring ourselves out to fill that spouse up? If we're not pouring ourselves out to fill that neighbor up? If we're not pouring ourselves out to fill our brothers and sisters up? How will, how will they know? Lord, you know us, we're worried that if we pour out, we'll empty out. But Lord, your, your love for us is so rich, so deep, so wide, so high. The truth is, it is impossible for us to pour out more than you pour in. Help us to believe this. You've loved us and you love us to the very end. Help us, for Christ's sake. Pick up the towel and be ready to wash feet. Amen, amen, amen. Would you stand all across the room? Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.